there comes a time in every life when you need to spread your wings and move away from home. In this episode of Adulting, Harlan and I talk about what you need to do to get into your first place and really become an adult. Welcome to Adulting, the podcast where we want to adult every day. Download episodes at adulting.tv. Welcome to Adulting. I'm Harlan Landis, and I'm here, as usual, with Miranda Marquit. How are you doing, Miranda? I'm doing well. How are you, Harlan? I'm fantastic. Yay! So today we're talking about moving into your first apartment or house or first place after moving out with your parents. When did that happen for you? Well, for me, it happened when I went to college. But for most people, even though college doesn't really count, right, as as your first place. So for me, it happened uh, before I finished college. uh, My last semester of college, I got married and my then husband and I moved into an apartment and started paying our own bills and being adults. And I was 22. All right. I mean, similar for me, except the fact that I wasn't married. And when I did graduate college, I moved out on my own and had a job in Delaware where I where I went to school and had an apartment on my own and really struggled. <laughs> so a podcast like this would have helped me back then. That's for sure. Yeah, I think and we struggled a little bit because we were finishing college and neither of us had really had to because when you do when you when you're going to school even if you're living on campus or if you're living in a campus approved apartment off campus all of that stuff you you kind of still tend to pay by the semester and you still have student loans that help you or your parents are still helping you pay for all this stuff and so in a lot of ways it's really not like being on your own (laughs) being on your own is really once you get done with college and you're, you're getting a job and you're really responsible for all of that stuff Yeah, absolutely. And it can be a shock at first when you have these responsibilities. It was for me, that's for sure. So you have an article here that uh, is appropriate, right? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Now, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, they they compiled some data and they found that in 2012, the age at which young people moved out of their parents' home was higher than it was in the early 2000s. So as we've been going along and as we've looked at this millennial generation coming up, they're staying in their parents' homes longer. They're returning to their parents' homes after college. And part of this has to just do with you know social change and economic change. Uh, but yeah, most young adults, though, even with the the growing age, most young adults are out of their parents' home by the age of 27. But to me, that's just really weird because I was out of, you know, because I moved out at 18 to go to college and then I immediately moved from the dorms into an apartment. And so at 22, and so it just seems really weird to me, this, this, oh, hey, by the time you're 27, you're out of a house, you know, you're out of your parents' house. You know, for me, I was out of my parents' house, but I found myself moving back in 
um, after a while. Bridging the gap between the two generations almost, I, instead of just moving back with my parents right away, I tried the on my own thing and made some mistakes and found myself having to go back a step or two, um, get things straightened up and, um, and then figured out after that. The first thing we can talk about is what to look for, look for in your first place, um, assuming you have some choice in the matter. So one of the first aspects of things that you're going to look at is obviously going to be cost. Um, this could be the first time that someone is looking at their um, income and uh, and trying to figure out what their own budget is. This is certainly a change from most people's experience if they're in high school or college before they move out on their own. Um, they perhaps never had to, never had to budget before. Starting with the cost might be kind of difficult, but it really gives you a good picture of what you can really afford in terms of housing. And, you know, there's a good chance you're going to find that you can't afford what you want, you know, on your salary at the beginning of a career. Right. So, so much of the time we feel like we should have all the things we grew up with this nice spacious place it should be cute it should and we have this two idea from tv like look at the tv shows the apartments that people live in even if they have to share rooms right. <laughs> uh right uh watching i was watching um some episodes of the new girl and i'm like yeah yeah because you know your first apartment as an adult is totally going to be like that or broke girls if you've watched an episode of Broke Girls and you're like, yeah, really? Okay. Yeah. You're going to get a nice apartment like that for an affordable rate when you're broke. I don't think so. Right. Yeah. And the shows like that tend to take place in some of the most expensive cities. I, I mean, I think Friends is like the pro- prototypical example because they, they had huge, what seemed like huge apartments in New York City where they were frequently without jobs and there was no indication of how they were paying for these things. But of course it's a TV show. So what do you expect? I mean, there's, there's fantasy involved here, but unfortunately a lot of people believe that this is exactly what life is going to be like. Right. And too often we think, Oh, well I've got to have this cute thing. I want a cute loft. I want this you know, cute, whatever. I, I keep using the word cute, but that's just the word that springs to mind because I was recently apartment shopping with somebody and it was all about, about, you know, cute, all about the amenities, all about this. And oh my gosh, it's not quite within my price range, but maybe I can make it work because it's perfect. Yeah, I think the reality is more along the lines of, you know, something that I had to do is that basically I shared a three room, three bedroom apartment with three other people. So it was pretty tight in there. uh, But that was the only way to make the the cost of rent manageable for me when I was just starting off in a nonprofit career with a with a low salary. When I first got married and we moved out of the dorms, it would have been nice to have like a two bedroom apartment or something like that. But we ended up with a one bedroom apartment with a really tiny kitchen, basically like the hallway to the back of our uh, to our room in the back was like the kitchen, <laughs> and it just it was really small. The front room was really small. We really didn't have a lot of amenities. We really didn't have a lot to do. And you would never look at this apartment and be like, hey, that's cute. Hey, you know, we're on our own and living the life. No, no, no. We had to really adjust our expectations. It's not just the rent that you have to budget for. It's it's utilities. It's the water. It's the um, sewer. It's the trash. It's the cable. 
uh, if you can even afford that. You have to figure out what you can afford and cut out what might be, uh, you know, even though it's a sacrifice, uh, you might have to eliminate some of the things that you're used to um, in terms of what you've grown up with. You know, I grew up with cable, but when I lived on my own, I had to eliminate it. And that was at a time when it was hard to replace cable with online streaming. Um, in fact, online streaming didn't exist there. Now you know how old I am. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's what I was thinking too, is we had cable in our first apartment and we just figured it, it was a, it was just part of life. It's what you do. It's normal, right? Cable is normal. And about six months in, I was like, what are we doing? We are paying $100 a month for cable and we don't watch all of the channels. We barely have time to watch TV anyway to begin with. And we both brought substantial DVD collections with us. Mm -hmm. So we've got plenty of movies to watch if we want entertainment. So we finally end up realizing that even though cable seemed normal and necessary, it really wasn't. They're really luxuries. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the other things to think about as you're getting ready to move into your own place is location. And in some ways, this will be related to cost as well. But you've got to think about your location and where you're going to live. In my case, we moved, we had to move off campus because there wasn't married campus housing. So we moved off campus for that uh, last semester of my schooling. And we lived, it was about uh, half a mile from campus. So we were still close enough that if we had to, if the car broke down, if the car was in the shop, we could walk and get to class. And uh, I worked on campus and we were kind of centrally located to where we could walk to the grocery store. It wouldn't have been fun. We were like a mile from the grocery store. But it wouldn't have been fun. But we were in a location where if we had to, we could walk to most things. And so that was part of deciding where we were as well because we knew that an emergency could come up and we could be without the car. So that was one of the things we thought about when choosing our location. Okay, at the very start, you know, the location for me was, well, let me just find the cheapest place. And I didn't necessarily consider the fact that it would also cost money to commute. Um, that worked out okay um, in, in my first job in Delaware. But when I moved back to New Jersey, where I had grown up, I moved back to you know the area near my own hometown where some of my friends were living and where I knew I could uh, you know have some emotional support from friends um, while working at my job, which was an hour and a half away big commute. Um, it wasn't the cheapest place to live, but I knew that I could find roommates and wouldn't be a problem. But I found that I really should have considered the total cost of commuting plus the rent because I wasn't making enough money to afford to live far away. So then I decided at some point I needed to make a change and it really took a couple of years, but I decided to move closer to the job. You know, I don't always necessarily recommend moving for a job. Basing your life's decisions on a job could end up being a mistake uh, because that job might not be the same job that you have even a couple of months later. So if you're moving across, you know, the state or across the country even for a job, you're taking a big financial risk in doing so. So for me, that's exactly what happened. I moved closer to my job and I lost my job a couple of months later. It seemed like a big waste of time. Had I done that earlier, though, I might have at least had a couple of years with, you know, saving some money and saving some time on the commute, even if being separated from my support network and my friends and my uh, family. 
that's one thing to consider as well is if you can live close enough to save money in your commute or if you can take public transportation. I know people who live far from their city center, far from their job, but there's good public transportation that's relatively inexpensive and they can actually get stuff done during the commute because they're not driving. And so they can take care of some some things, extra projects or whatever it is they want to do while they're on the train. Yeah, if you can get away with not driving, that's always that's always great benefit. Um, and once I started getting put, moving my life in a different direction, that's what I had to do. I mean, I had no choice because I had no car. So I had a job that was accessible by train and I eventually moved somewhere that was also not super convenient, but at least there was public transportation and I was able to take a bus to the train station and then a train to to work and then, you know, still have that transportation on the way back as well. Access to public transportation can play a great role in choosing a location to live. And when it does, you're usually able to save some money. Oh, for sure. Another thing to consider, though, is how how safe is your neighborhood? So I know that it can be, you know, you can get some really inexpensive places, but depending on where you're at and the safety involved, you know, maybe maybe cheapest isn't always the best. And that's something to consider as well, because I remember um, my sister, when the kind of places that she lived in before she had children, were completely different than the places that she's willing to live in now. And so it's it's kind of interesting the, the way you need to also consider uh, safety, your safety, safety of your family, that kind of thing. When you're on a budget, there are always sacrifices that you have to make. And some people will choose to live in a less than safe neighborhood in order to save some money, at least for the short term. Wh- whatever you do, when you have your first place, chances are unless you found yourself in a great paying job right away or you have money, you don't have to worry about it. You just have to make sacrifices. And whether it's the location or amenities or a combination, you really have to consider what it is that you can afford so that you can also save money for the future. I can definitely understand how living in a neighborhood that is not the kind of neighborhood that you grew up in, say, would be a choice that you might have to make. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I recently talked to a couple of people, and they do have kids, who chose to uh, live you know, live in what they termed the hood in order to save some money. They had access to a, a paid-for house, and they were able to save money by living in a place that many people would consider less safe, but it works for them. So, Really, it depends on, you know, pros and cons. And like you said, sacrifice. Too often we just assume that we can have everything we want and it'll all be perfect. But the reality is, especially if you're looking for your first place, you're going to have to sacrifice somewhere. You're going to have to let something go. And one of those sacrifices may be not living on your own as you may like to do or even living with just your partner. Sometimes you need to split the costs even further by finding a roommate. Yeah. So, and for me, I did have one year of college where I briefly had a roommate and it was fine. It was somebody I knew really well. And I think that's one of the things you can look for is if you can start out by saying, oh, hey, do I know somebody in my network, somebody I'm reasonably comfortable with? Go there first before you start putting ads on Craigslist, right? Uh, see if you can find somebody you know. And, and that worked out okay. Um, and then, then of course I went back to living by myself 
and then I got married. And that's a de facto roommate for the next 13 years. But... And now I, I have a son, but that's different than having a real roommate. And there are days when I look at the fact that we have extra rooms in the place that we're renting. And there are days that I'm like, well, if I had to, if something happened to my income, could I do like Airbnb or could I see if I could get a lodger or somebody to help pay the rent? I guess we should talk about how to find a roommate. So finding a roommate can be a little bit easier today than it used to be. If there's nobody in your network that you know, there are online message boards you can go to. A lot of the apartments and rent stock, rent, apartments.com and rent.com of the world have, you know, help you find roommates. There's Craigslist, although you always have to be careful because sometimes people are shady on Craigslist. Hmm. And there's even, you know, there's there's ways to find people online because there's always somebody looking for reduced costs, especially if you either live in a college town or if you live in a major city that's expensive. I've had experience with, with Craigslist, I, I believe, a couple of times. And that was when I moved to areas where I didn't have friends and a, and a pretty strong network of potential, you know, I I have a friend who needs a place, um, that type of thing. So Craigslist has worked out pretty well, but that was also some time ago. But still, you have to just be extra careful whenever you're getting into a living situation with someone who isn't part of your network and you don't have mutual friends and, you know, is therefore a stranger. I mean, you shouldn't be scared so much and it's always good to put a lot of trust into other people and you don't want to become a person who doesn't trust other people you just want to be aware and know enough about the person that you're getting into a financial relationship with um, before you go ahead and do that part of that too is is you can do a screening process If, if you're the one who is putting your name on the lease you can ask them for references you can ask a potential roommate for references. You can have them fill out a questionnaire about their habits, that kind of stuff. I mean, they could lie, but at the same time, that sort of puts up a higher barrier of entry so that only people who are serious about it are going to do it. And once again, that reference can be a really good thing because you can ask them about their former landlords and call those former landlords to find out. Yeah, a lot of the time, you're not in the position of power to do this. Um, if you can be the sole person on the lease and you have control over the, you know, over who comes into the property or not, then sure, I think that makes a lot of sense. But if you're in the situation where, you know, perhaps you don't have the credit to sign a lease on your own, because this is your first place, remember, you're going to be at the mercy of someone else who has more power, more financial power and therefore kind of controls the uh, the apartment experience. So you, you might have to be the person on someone else's lease. So you have to be a, a person that this person would want to, you know, would be comfortable renting to basically. It sort of reminds me of those exercises you used to do when you were younger. I don't know, maybe you didn't do it, but in, in my culture where I grew up and in, in my loca- location, we used to do these exercises where you'd, you know, write about what sort of traits you'd want in a future spouse. And then you'd have to look at those traits and say, now do I have those traits and can I develop them? So you're going to need to do the same thing if you're looking for a roommate. Say, this is what I want in a roommate, and then turn around, turn it around, and look at yourself and say, do I have these characteristics? So all of this is great um, for finding a place, but 
you know, I think a big question is now, now how do I get by in life once I am in my own place? I think that's a big part of people with something we all need to know. My suggestion, first of all, is to get organized as quickly as possible. Living in your own place is a major responsibility and you don't want to lose track of anything. One of the most important things to organize is all the bills that you're going to have. Um, and, you know, these are, these are responsibilities that you have to deal with, whether you can afford to or not. You have to start paying attention to these bills. So maybe that's a good first step uh, once you move into uh, a new place is, you know, start start a folder, start several folders and put them into a file of, um, you know, all the all the financial responsibilities. You've got your rent, you've got your utilities, you've got your telephone, you know, your cell phone, um, you've got cable, you've got water bills, probably, maybe. Uh, What else could you think of for organizing? A lot of the time you're going to have your own, your cell phone bill and you'll find out from your landlord what's included. In some cases, there are apartments that might have mm-hmm. heat included or they might have, you have the water included like you were talking about. So they might have a flat rate for some of these utilities. So you definitely need to find out what you're in charge of. Today, there are a lot of apps out there that claim to be able to help you organize this stuff, right? You should organize your bills and keep them straight uh like bills.com lower my bills there are a lot of places that can claim to help you do that but i really like your idea of going old school and writing it down and making a folder just so that you can visually see it and remember and i think one of the best ways to stay organized is to sit down and have pick a day of the month pick one day of the month where you basically have a date with your money and yourself and you just look it down and say, this is the day I pay all my bills. You raise a good point when you talk about different expenses being included. Um, Some apartments even have cable included, you know, which is great. But again, those apartments are probably going to cost more than more basic apartments. So you you pay for it in the end. It's just a question of uh, how it's buried into your total costs. Um, All of that should be spelled out in the lease. And it is absolutely imperative. It is so important that you actually take the time and read the lease, even though it might be 50 pages long. uh, If you're renting an apartment, you have to you you have a legal relationship with your landlord and you have to understand all of your responsibilities. And sometimes the lease the lease will tell you your responsibilities. Um, so it's important to read that, but also it may not tell you all of your rights as a tenant. So it's good to understand um, in your state what your rights as a tenant are because they will not be identified in your lease. You need to know your rights and responsibilities, so you've got to read the lease and you have to read if your state offers a tenant handbook or look online and try to find out what your rights are in your state, you, you need to know this because if, if a landlord comes to you and there's a problem, you need to understand what, you know, what your responsibilities are and what your rights are in whatever that issue happens to be. And I think that's really important because many states have lesser protections than others. Living in Utah afforded me many fewer renter protections than living in Pennsylvania. So it does make sense to double check and make sure you know what to expect. And I did. I felt like I was signing my life away. Recently, when I sat down to sign lease papers, I, I did. I felt like I was signing my life away because you're just initial here, initial here, initial here. It's not quite as bad as 
assigning a mortgage, assigning mortgage papers, but it's up there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for me, I think two places I've lived as uh, an adult, except for Delaware, are Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And I know that New Jersey has very strong um, tenant rights. Um, Pennsylvania doesn't seem to be as focused on that as New Jersey is. I'd be scared to move out to um, move out west, uh, like you said, and um, and see what other protections are not afforded by uh, me as a tenant. Oh, yeah. We talked about landlords, and that's something you have to deal with is you could move somewhere where you have a great landlord who, you know, is personal uh, and personable and tends to care about their tenants. Um, you could move somewhere that has a landlord who is not quite, you know, quick to respond to issues and isn't really that interested in being a landlord. Um, and you can move somewhere that has a, basically a, you know, a large corporation for a landlord and they just have people to manage the property on site. Um, there's a lot of different situations there and it's good to get to know whoever it is that you're going to have to be dealing with, uh, whether it's a landlord, whether it's a superintendent, whether it's someone who works in you know, a corporate office down the street from your apartment complex. Start to get to know people and be friendly with them because, uh, you know, it's you, you never know what issues are going to come up and then you're going to need someone uh, who knows, you know, it, it's better to, you know, when something comes up to be able to work with somebody, you know, than to just be meeting your landlord for the first time, you know, when an issue comes up. Yeah, one of my favorite experiences was when I lived in Syracuse townhouse that we lived in was managed by a property management company and they had an on-site office and they had regular hours and emergency hours and that was one of the best experiences because it, it was it wasn't some landlord that was distracted by a bajillion things it was a dedicated property manager who took care of that particular property and so we knew who they were we knew who to contact and it was really great and it was one of the best rental experiences that I had because their entire job was to just, you know, help the tenants of that particular property. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you won't always get that. Uh, you know, I've, I've definitely had landlords. Um, you know, there are even some cases where I didn't have a landlord. And, you know, one, one of the places that I found online when I was looking to move closer to, you know, my first job in New Jersey, you know, in the nonprofit was basically someone was renting a place from their landlord and, and couldn't afford the whole thing. And it was, you know, basically a two bedroom. So they, they put the other bedroom up as a listing. And I never signed a lease or anything because uh, it was technically illegal. Um, you know, I, I should not have been living there. Um, but I, uh, you know, it was a cheap place to live. And um, and they were looking to, to, you know, get some money in from an, a roommate. And uh, they found a way to make it work, even and the landlord didn't know about it. You know, I was locked out, and I went down to the person who owned the property. I said, "Hey, I'm locked out. Can I get you know? Can can you open the door for me?" And they had no idea who I was um, because I had no relationship with this landlord. My my deal, and there was no lease. My deal was with the the person who was renting from them. Um, so uh, they were quite surprised to find out that that they were sub subleasing the, the apartment, you know, from that point on, when I realized this, I kind of 
figured that that was a place I needed to move out of at some point. And, and I eventually did and found a place that I was on the lease, you know, I could get on the lease myself and split a place with a few, few other roommates, um, and moved on. You know, sometimes when you're trying to save money, these opportunities will come up and you won't realize that it might be off the books, so to speak. And you have to, uh, you know, consider whether that's something you want to do. And I think you make a good point, and it, that goes back to understanding what is required in your lease. Because you may think, oh, it would be great if I could have a roommate, but what if your lease prohibits subletting? What if, and, and for instance, the lease I have right now basically says, if I have somebody staying with me for longer than two weeks, I have to let the property manager know, and then that person has to go through a credit check. Wow. Yeah. So, so yeah, so if even if I have guests... They can't stay with me for more than two weeks. Well, legally speaking, I mean, I guess I could fudge it. I mean, they're not going to know unless they show up at my place. Yeah. And I think, you know, the reality is that people often do things that seem to be forbidden by their lease and they get away with it because a lot of landlords will just have boilerplate language and whether they care or not is more of a personal thing. It's good to stick to what the lease allows you to do, you know, aside from what what your what your rights are um because you whatever your rights are through your state trump whatever the lease says but you know you still got to be careful because it's really up to the landlord what they want to pursue or not and if they find out what you're doing or not you know a lot of places won't allow you to have pets either and you know i know that people have always had pets in those apartment complexes that haven't allowed pets so people are getting away with stuff and there's probably some flexibility and a lot of landlords don't actually care, even though something's in the lease, but you never know until you have that personal relationship and you're able to judge for yourself what, what you may be allowed to do. Right. And then on top of that, it's important to realize too, that if you do something that the lease prohibits you from and you're not protected by rights, the landlord may be turning a blind eye for now, but once something happens or when something goes wrong, they'll stick it to you. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I thought I, I would have found myself in a, in a pretty um, difficult position earlier in 2015. I left my apartment for, you know, my plan was to leave for several weeks during the winter and my uh, pipes froze and burst and my kitchen was flooded and I had to fly back to uh, New Jersey where I was living and deal with this. And I thought for sure that the landlord would not be very accommodating when it came to kind of dealing with the aftermath of this. And of course, the insurance covered a lot, a lot of the damage. Well, the insurance covered all the damage to the other units um, and the insurance covered the, you know, my items. I thought the landlord would have been a little stingier with returning the deposit when I moved out. Uh, but they seemed to, you know, be okay working with me. And maybe that was because they knew I had a lawyer on hand just in case I needed to, you know, fight anything that the landlord would come back to me with. But it worked out okay in the end. And I didn't really, you know, have any expense that I wasn't prepared to deal with. But it was certainly a frightening situation. Getting that call in the middle of the night to say, you know, are you home? What's going on? There's water leaking from your apartment. And, you know, it's leaking into the other units. We're going to have to we're going to have to open the door and find out what's going on, um, which they ended up doing while I was away. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think 
you bring up something when you say insurance. <laughs> yeah. One of the most important things you can do when you get your own place is buy renter's insurance. Absolutely. It's so cheap too. Oh yeah. The landlord has insurance to cover the apartment itself, the structure itself, but all of the things that you have, you might be surprised when you add up, well, what do I have? Well, you have a computer probably. You probably have an expensive laptop or a tablet or something. You probably get your bed, your furniture, all of that. It starts to add up. When I was first living in our first apartment, we were like, oh no, we don't have anything of value. But then we sat down and we thought, how much would it cost to replace the couch? How much would it cost to replace, at the time it was a 13-inch TV, it was very small. Hmm. How much would it cost to replace this TV? How much would it cost to replace my desktop computer? How much would it cost to replace the bed? And you start thinking about how much it would cost to replace all these things, and suddenly that renter's insurance seems really cheap. A lot of the time, you know, I've, I've, I've well, I've seen this half and half, and maybe it's a, it depends on the state. Having renter's insurance can be required by your landlord. And in cases like that, usually they work with a company and they're happy to recommend an insurance company. And that's a good place to start. But don't be afraid to shop around, too, because renter's insurance should be very inexpensive. Um, and I'm talking maybe $5 or $10 a month. It's going to be necessary in some cases, and even when it's not necessary, when it's not required by your lease, it's you just have to do it anyway. Okay, so let's talk about some of the things we can do now. Yeah, so one of the best things you can do right now is sit down and consider your expenses and figure out if you really can move out and live in the area you've thought about. Research this stuff. I know people who are like, hey, I want to move to New York and I want to live on the Upper West Side and it's going to be so amazing and I'm just sitting here going, you can't afford to live on the Upper West Side. So, so sit down and do the research and really be realistic about it and list out your expenses so you have an idea of what to expect. Right. And as you're listing things, you can you can uh, write down some of your non-negotiables. What, what can't you absolutely live without? Um, and, you know, your first place is all about making some sacrifices. And I think it's good that people go through this phase. It really gives you a chance to look and see what you actually can live without if you if if you absolutely had to. And your first apartment that is uh, out of all the times in your life, this is going to be the time that you find out what you're willing to actually live with in order to save some money. Um, you don't want to find yourself in the position uh, of uh, the position that I was in where I was just losing every losing money every month, month after month, because I just couldn't afford to live where I was living and I couldn't afford to keep the job where I was making no money. Th- this is a time to make some sacrifices and find out who you are and what you're able to do uh, because certainly your first uh, your first apartment or your first house is not going to going to be the same kind of living situation that you grew up with and you'll find out what sacrifices you need to make well and I love this idea of really thinking about this because let's be honest your first apartment and the crappier it is the bigger the badge of honor right you don't have there there are no good stories that start with Hey, my parents totally subsidized my first 700, you know, my first, my first apartment that I couldn't afford. So I only had to pay half the rent and they totally bought all my furniture. There are no good stories that start with that. No. If, if you want a good life story, you need a crappy apartment. Absolutely. Crappy secondhand furniture. 
And that's all a part of life. I think, you know, it's, it's a great, it's a great opportunity to, to really learn about yourself. I mean, forget about traveling Europe for a year, just living on your own. And we've even talked about some of things like this, uh, in an earlier episode when it comes to, you know, learning about yourself by spending time with yourself. Uh, even, even if you have a roommate, uh, you, you learn a lot about yourself when you have a roommate as well. Um, first time you're living with somebody on your own, having to pay for everything yourself. Right. And finally, before you move out, start saving up for the security deposit. We didn't really, we, we may have just touched on this, but most places are going to require security deposit and that security deposit might be as little as half of your first month's rent or, but more likely it's going to equal one month's rent and it may even equal one month's rent plus your first and last month's rent. So that's like three months rent that you had to pay up front for security. That's got to be often it has to be cash, you know, not not a personal check. It's got to be a cashier's check or cash, which means you have to have the money ready to go. You you can't there's no way to get around it um, short of getting a cash advance from a credit card, which is the worst thing you could do. Oh, yeah. So start saving up for that security deposit and then go beyond and save up for, you know, maybe two months rent so that you can kind of ease into things and you have that cash cushion available to you so that you can normalize where you're at. Because you can estimate your utilities all you want, but until you're actually living there and you're paying utilities, you have no idea. Right. So we have a listener question. Um, I feel like I am ready to move out of my parents' home, but I only have enough money to live on. I won't be able to do anything with my friends. Should I move out if I won't have an entertainment budget? That's a really interesting question. Oh, (laughs) boo-hoo. Seriously, uh, entertainment is an important part of life. You need rest. You need relaxation. We'll talk about that in a future episode. But first of all, stop and think about why do you only have enough money to live on and you won't have enough money for an entertainment budget? Is it because you've spent all of the money that you've made while you've been living in your parents' house? rent-free? That, that's what I want to know, right? <laughs> because if, if you're spending all of the money you have now on entertainment, then before you move out, maybe you need to like learn how to budget and practice putting, here's some money that I need to put aside into savings. Here's some money that I might need to pay for utilities. Practice breaking that down and putting that to different areas. And that'll help you save up a cash cushion plus teach you a valuable lesson about how to manage your money. Because, and, and that's the thing, if you, you, feel like you're ready to move out of your parents' home, uh, but if you don't have the budget for the things you want to do, maybe you're not. I don't know. What do you think, Harlan? Are you going to be nicer than me? There, there's no rush you know, to move out of your parents' house if, if they're not pushing you out. They probably should push you out at some point, you know, spe- you know, especially if you're 30 or so and still living with your parents, maybe time to start moving. Um, you know, for everybody, it's a different age um, and every family situation is a different situation. Certainly save up money while you can. Get your savings started so that when you do find yourself needing to move out, you'll, you'll be more prepared. Um, if nobody's pushing you out and you don't feel the need to move out and you're single and you're, you you haven't gotten yourself to a point in your career where you can really afford to live on your own, then, do, then don't do it. I mean, there's no need to rush this. And these days, I, we, I don't think we need to be too critical of this, this whole idea that people are moving out when they're older. Um, they're still living off of their parents. People 
throughout history, family has been the financial support for people. And there, you know, there wasn't this need for everybody to move out until they were married. Of course, people were married a lot younger, those who did get married. But family has always been the financial rock that you can count on. The, the reason that we're more upset about that today is that parents, would-be parents in this situation, are hit with the same financial difficulties that are affecting everybody throughout the world. So they're feeling the pinch already, and now they have this 20-something-year-old kid who hasn't moved out yet. So there's a lot of criticism of this idea that, you know, that people are waiting until longer to be on their own financially. I don't, I don't think it's criticism is absolutely necessary. I think there's, uh, you know, certainly there are forces that are keeping people from growing up and taking some of these independent steps and making their own responsibility. But you can you can figure out how to do that while still living with your parents. There's There's no need to push people out so quickly. If you're ready to move out, it's all about the sacrifices like we talked about earlier. There's There's no need to have such a such a high entertainment budget. I mean, when I found myself in financial difficulties, I had to sacrifice all of my entertainment and I couldn't go spend time with my friends because a lot, you know, I, I could, you know, go visit and hang out at their house and, and all that kind of stuff, but I couldn't go out with them and go out to eat and go out and see movies because I had no money to do that. I was in a phase where I needed to start turning my life around. So I had to be careful about what I chose to do with my friends and choose only the entertainment that was not, that a cost wasn't really associated with it. Yeah. And you think you make a good point though. I mean, entertainment doesn't always have to be expensive. You don't always have to spend money. There are lots of things you can do that can be entertaining and fun but that don't have to cost a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, in the end, it comes down to making sacrifices like we talked about earlier. You just have to do that when you're living on your own for the first time until you figure out, until you have enough money coming in where you can start adding some of the things that you've taken out of your life back in. For sure. All right. Well, I think that's it for today's episode. Join us again at adulting.tv. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes if you enjoyed this podcast. And you can join me, Harlan, and Miranda next week. Thank you for listening to Adulting. Find resources for this episode or download other episodes at adulting.tv.